Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. This time, I have John Singleton, head coach of the programme, and Gomar Hulst from Wad Science, discussing the changes for next year's games and how they think it could be improved even further. They have some controversial ideas. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Europe is Coming podcast, taking you inside the minds of Europe's best CrossFit athletes and the people behind them. Monday in the middle of October now and uh, so just a couple of weeks ago Goma Host from Wad Science was playing golf with you John Singleton head coach of the program and now that conversation that you had at a golf course we're going to continue it on the Europe is Coming podcast welcome guys to the show thank you Thank you. We are we Vicky and I are actually sitting next to each other, you know. I think this is the first. It's a whole new concept. We've done this once before. Didn't I go to, I went to a room downstairs. That was when we no. talked to Justin Berg. Yeah. Yeah, because you I was I was in a room downstairs in ah, the same okay. building. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are, we're going to have a, a round table discussion about the well, our perspectives on the recent developments from CrossFit HQ about the games and uh, all of the information that's coming out at the moment. Who wants to start? Gomar's the best golfer, so I feel it's, <laughs> it's only right that he has the honours. Yeah, I know we were just discussing a little bit the, the recent changes. Actually, this discussion was before the recent changes, correct, John? This is the interesting thing, is that actually, probably two weeks before they announced, Gomar and I were like, you know, we're sitting down. And, and honestly, I think like most people do in the CrossFit world, discuss like... They're kind of interesting discussions, you know, if we were to organise the sport and lay out the season, how would we do that? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of like how the discussion started. Yes, it could be an interesting perspective because uh, John, of course, uh, has a lot of skin in the game because he's uh, the coach of some elite athletes. And I'm more a neutral voice, I would say, uh, if nothing to do with CrossFit or anything with the, the, the corporation. I'm just uh, following the sport from a European point of view, not super American, of course. Yeah, that's why we, we thought maybe we can yeah, have a little bit of brainstorming on how we could um, increase the interest from the neutral spectator into the sport of CrossFit, because I, I'm sure that CrossFit also wants that to get everyone involved and not just elite athletes or their entourage. Absolutely. So that's uh, how, we, how we looked at it. I want to say that. It's a very low on spectators. If you don't do CrossFit yourself, you're very unlikely to go and watch it. Yeah, I mean, that's probably true, but that's, I think, with most sports, uh, although maybe football or tennis is a little bit different. But yeah, but the good part is about, about CrossFit is that much of it is uh, free on YouTube, right? And so you can actually <laughs> attract a lot of interested people that maybe not are interested in CrossFit, but just like scrolling through YouTube and seeing I don't know, the 2016 Games documentary, which is super awesome, and I'm sure uh, it drags many people into the sport. Maybe not, we're, we're not doing CrossFit before. I think this is actually a very good point, is that actually from those documentaries on Netflix in like 2015, 2016, like, you know, obviously I was with uh, Sarah at the time, and that's yeah. where like 90% of her following came from. You know, she went from like maybe 10,000, something like that, followers into the millions because of those Netflix documentaries. Wow. And so the power of the mainstream media, you know, I've kind of seen it firsthand, what it can do. And, and a documentary on Netflix can blow up the sports, you know, and everyone around the sport, the athletes that are in it, the gyms that people go to. You know, like you see the amount of gyms in Madison, Wisconsin now is huge because of 
the games. We're talking about this in Madrid this weekend. Actually, Madrid has a large number of affiliates because they've had regionals there. They had the invitationals there. And so actually the sport growing is just huge for everyone involved in the space from the local community all the way up to the kind of elite athletes and bigger brands. I'm just Googling CrossFit Box Birmingham, Alabama, as we speak. <laughs> yeah, well, I think without question, the number that you say now and the number that you say in four years are going to be like significantly different. See yeah. how many there are. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So what do you guys think about the uh, proposed changes for next year, the way that the semifinals are going to go? Yeah, I think I can talk about it from a neutral point of view, just a neutral spectator, just want to see a lot of CrossFit on on my screen, right? And and just see the best athletes perform. And yeah, I mean, it's not that much of a change. I mean, you see less semifinals or or, or now you can call it kind of regionals, just less in total uh, amount, which is probably good because now you had like two or even three uh, sometimes events per weekend, which is also not very watchable for the the normal or the neutral uh, spectator. So I think it's good to go to a little bit less and then the big change is that that uh, certainly Europe and in North America will then have only one or in, in America's uh, point of view, two um, regionals. And then you also will have more people that will be able to go to the games per region, certainly in, in, in Europe and in North America. So that, that's, a, that's a change. It's a bit uh, unclear how many manual spots there will be. So there will be probably more in Europe than, for example, in Asia. But we don't know exactly how much. Of course, this is super important for my, for, for, for John and, and for his uh, whole team. But this is actually also for the, the neutral spectator quite important because it's actually very cool, always a very cool asset about the, the semifinals or the regionals is to see who will be the bubble athlete, who will make it. This is making it much more exciting, I think, to, to watch. So this will be also explained before the actual uh, regional or semifinal will start. So that's good. So the, the athletes don't have to wait after to, until after the the competition so that's super super important that's what justin burke just explained on a recent podcast and then it, it will be all programmed by crossfit so to have a little bit more even programming i think that's a, that's a good thing for the neutral spectator i don't think it's too important but i'm sure for the athletes and for the coaches i'm, I'm very sure it's a bit more even bit more standardized and maybe we can talk about this later can also then benefit into a more overall ranking system because you'll have the the same uh, workouts throughout the whole globe i don't know if john looks at it from a coaching perspective yeah so i, I think it's really important to highlight some of the positives one like yeah. huge positive for me is that crossfit are programming all the way through the season and that's reflected by the athletes it means that it's done by a central body and the event organizers yeah. we're still in a very small space and so the event organizers often have ties with certain athletes with certain groups and we even had at some point like sanction events that qualified people to the games being programmed by other training programs. And obviously, you know, it just leaves room for a huge bias. So the fact that CrossFit have everything in-house programming wise, I think is really important. I think that the significance of Europe coming together, one, it creates an epic event in Europe. You know, I really think that the European semi-final will be one of the greatest like events in, in kind of CrossFit history. Oh. <laughs> and then I also think that it, it took away, because you've got to remember that what would happen is, in this previous system, the athletes would all qualify from Europe and then just get randomly divided. And there was no real transparency as to why one athlete would go yeah. to, say, strength and depth and one athlete would go to lowlands. Whereas now you don't have that. Everyone competing in the region goes to the same place to go through. So it's a lot more logical process. 
And I think what they've done in quite a clever way, you know, as, as Gomez rightly pointed out, no one really knows how this worldwide ranking is going to work. But what it does is the worldwide ranking leads to a lot more possibilities within the sport. And actually, one of, like Gomez kind of, you know, Gomez was a, an excellent level golfer and, and so has been very involved in that. But Justin Berg was also heavily involved in the golf sports space. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we might see is that that we do start to see some parallels starting to emerge from kind of the PGA Tour world into the CrossFit world. And I believe that one of these world ride rankings is like that. And Gomar can maybe explain a little bit better how golf works to give a bit of a, maybe actually some insights into how we might see the CrossFit sport evolve as well. Yeah, the, the exact calculations, I don't, I don't know exactly uh, in golf, but how it is, is that your previous results are actually taking into account yeah, for the whole world ranking uh, point. So, for example, if you win the Masters, the, the biggest tournament in, in the year or one of the biggest tournaments in the year in golf, you kind of almost have to win again the next year to make the same amount of points and to keep your world ranking points. So it is very important to keep performing well throughout the whole season. And then, of course, it's some kind of average of all the, the competitions divided by how many you played to get some kind of score. And that will be then determine your world, uh, your ranking or your world ranking. So it could be that if you are t- Tiger Woods uh, back in the day and you played maybe not 30 events, but only 20, but you won 60% of those events, you can still be number one in the world. You don't then maybe have to play every event, right? Or you're a little bit less high up the ranking and you want to want to increase your ranking. You, you want to play maybe every event. Right. So it, it also depends on your, let's say, your average performance per, per competition. Now, if you if you if you look at it uh, from a CrossFit perspective, how they will do it. Yeah, that's kind of uh, to our point as well, what we discussed on, on Instagram. And maybe we can also discuss this here a little bit more. How will they do it with such a low amount of competitions? Mm. Right. Meaning you have the, the open. Yeah, it's not very standardized, I would say. I mean, some people, for example, whatever they train or they, they compete at altitude they, yeah, complete, and, uh, they complete i think the thing is an online competition is just it's, it's not standardized there's yeah, no there's no also, way shape or form you can standardize an online competition and and if you listen close to what justin burke said he said also that you can only account the, the actual live competition so that that's good so then you would only have the games and the semis correct and maybe some yeah the dubai championships or maybe the madrid but I mean, that's not really uh, said much about some, some, some other competitions, but there's not that much like uh, live competitions where the absolute best competitions, also Rogue, of course, absolute best athletes uh, see each other or compete against mm. each other. I think a major problem uh, to get such a ranking points to, to get it working, because in golf, of course, of course, it's a different sport, but you have at least 35 tournaments a year, right? So that's very important for having a good world ranking point, I would say. And this is one of the things that kind of spurred our conversation further was that what science put a post up on on Instagram, just, you know, with kind of our reflections of what we think about the season. And this is before, ironically, a couple of weeks before the things came through. And the feedback was really, I'd say, kind of dismissive and negative. And and I think that, you know, obviously, like maybe people hadn't understood the background of, of what we were speaking about. But one of the things was it's not forcing athletes to go to all these competitions, is actually having the opportunity for athletes to compete and including these competitions in the ranking. Say, for example, someone wins Rogue, someone wins Dubai, someone wins Wadapalooza. Really, they're, they're, they're CrossFit competitions. Well, 
Dubai's now not, which is a different subject. But anyway, they're kind of like competitions that arguably should contribute to an athlete's worldwide ranking because, you know, that they're really hard things to win. And if you win all three of those competitions, yeah. you get ill at games. You know, you're kind of like ranked really low down. And as you said, I don't think that's a... I think there can be a better system put in place to kind of look at fitness throughout the year rather than just one test at the games. Yeah. And there's an interesting point you made in golf where, is it like the top 20 or something get invited to go to... Is it the Masters they get invited to go to? Yeah, so so it depends a little bit on the competition. So, yeah, so if you're top 100, mostly you get in the world, you get invited to most of the, the, the majors. Um, not all, I think you some are top 70, but let's say top 50, you get in all the competitions. So that, that of course, is a huge benefit and gives the gives the athlete a bit of security, right? Uh, which is not the case now in CrossFit at all. I mean, they have to compete. If they are sick in the semifinals, their season is done. They don't have sponsors and so on, which is, it's a bit strange and un, even unprofessional, I would even say. Well, I think, again, I think it's important that people understand the significance of that. You don't make it to games one year. Yeah. Like, you know, that significantly affects your earning potential. Like, give me an idea. I know an example of an athlete who, who in essence, they, they could, they're probably fringe level could make it to games. Mm. This year they were sick during quarterfinals and didn't even make semis. Basically, they lost every sponsor um, mm -hmm. that they had this year. They couldn't re-sign any because they were like, well, you don't give us any exposure in the, yeah. through yep. to the games. And, you know, okay, we're not talking like hundreds of thousands here. We're talking like a few thousand euros a month. But the thing is, at a few thousand euros a month, you can switch to being a full-time athlete. Mm. Yeah. You know, okay, you're not like, you know, living a footballer lifestyle or flying <laughs> around in private jets, but you can train off a few thousand euros a month, you can train full-time and you can start to dedicate your life to CrossFit. You don't have sponsors. You don't have people supporting that. All of a sudden you have to work. You know, there goes six to eight hours a day where you can't train, you can't rest. And that's automatically going to take away from your ability to reach that level. So, so that's yeah. the kind of significant knock-on effect of that happening. And, and just because someone got ill, you know, Emma Tull um, said she had a pneumonia or whatever during semis, so didn't compete. There's all these kind of stories that, that go through. Whereas, you know, say the weekend before you've competed in a competition, you maintained your worldwide ranking. You know, then do you still, do you have the ability to go to the games? Is, is there like a cutoff point where, you know, actually that once you've made it into, you know, CrossFit's obviously smaller, so maybe top 10 or top 20, whatever it is, you get this kind of like automatic invitation. And then that gives 20 people the opportunity to do more competitions, work their way up the ranking in order to get to that stage and kind of, you know, make it onto the tour. And I think the big thing is, like, no one's saying that the 20 who's not making it, uh, it's going to be easy for them. You know, that's not the idea of the sport. It's only fighting to be the best. Once you've kind of made that top 20, top 10, wherever you want to put that divide, I think that it should be rewarded in a way that allows you to, say, enter into different competitions. That it gives you something extra because you have already made that, those sacrifices in order to get there. And actually, once you make those top 20, it should then be easier to get sponsors, get paid, support your life. And that's what all the other athletes can then work towards is getting into that stage and kind of fight through to, to get it. And, yeah. and the fringe athletes on any sport, it's not easy, you know? Go to any sport around the world, and if you're a fringe athlete, it's just not easy, mm. you know? Yeah. 
And I think you've got to accept that, that it doesn't, it's not CrossFit having to support that. They can support the best. But when you're a fringe athlete, you know, you're a fringe on anything, it's hard because you're kind yeah. of close, kind of there. But in order to make it, you do have to make some more sacrifices to push through. But then when you've pushed through, the reward should be there that it kind of guarantees some more support, I think. Do you think that CrossFit as a sport is beginning to settle down into some sort of structure or is it are we going to see yet more changes uh, my vote you know the, i think one thing that happens behind the scenes like crossfit in the last what, two to three years has now we've just gone to a, a new ceo called don they they lost a lot of their kind of so many executive people. staff yeah. you know their, their president just went the cmo has just gone it's and these are significant changes at the top of the company that ultimately affect sports because mm. the whole company's won so if the direction of the CEO goes, okay, we don't care about the sport, we want to push the community side. Well, obviously that has an impact on the sport. And so I think and it can sometimes take a bit of time to trickle down and, and get that transparency. And obviously CrossFit is more than just the sport. This is the hard thing. They have to work with affiliates, That's they have to work thing. with the community, they have to work with so many aspects, level ones or the online things. And then also you have this sport, which is huge as well. So you've got a lot of kind of spinning plates to manage. And that's going to be interesting to see because we haven't necessarily seen what the overall intention with the sport is over the next five to 10 years. Okay, we've got a plan for next season where we still don't have all the stuff. But actually, you know, Birmingham, Alabama's not being confirmed by CrossFit. They've not confirmed like a five-year plan for, for the sport. And I think that would yeah. be nice, not just going, okay, this season, this is what we're doing. Actually going, like, you know, guys, let's have a bit more perspective. Let's go five years. For the next five years, this is what we're going to be planning. This is going to be the season schedule. Everyone can really like go, okay, this is what the season is. We can put our faith in. We can plan things around. Okay, it's nice knowing what the year is going to look like. But I can tell you one thing. September 2023 is going to come around very quickly. And mm. then we're going to be in the same position again. Yeah. What about the proposed move to Birmingham, Alabama? Of the options, it doesn't seem to be a very popular one. Yeah, so I, I've never been to Birmingham, Alabama, so I have no clue what the place is like. You are right, online it's not been perceived as a, uh, a positive move. It's also not been confirmed by CrossFit. I think my concern, based on something that Morning Chalk Up have put up, was the capacity of the stadium. Mm. So Madison was full. And I thought the move would be, let's move somewhere bigger, you know, maybe like a 20,000, 30,000 capacity stadium. But from what I've read is that, you know, the main hall kind of can seat 5,000 people. You halving the capacity and it's like, I really felt we're in a position to move forward with that rather than regress. I don't agree with you that Madison was full. In the Coliseum, there mm. was always empty seats. Yeah. Lots of them. From what they announced, at least, it was sold out. Hmm. Well, there were people who were not there. And um, like a couple of uh, events that have happened, like CrossFit competitions that have happened since, um, they have actually not been able to pay out their athletes because they didn't have enough spectators attending. So well, those, those guys, something... those guys uh, especially the European guys, are notorious for not paying anyway. So I, there, there was like a history of, of those guys but, anyway. But what I'm trying to say is that the ticket, the ticket, pro, the ticket um, revenue maybe isn't there for them to justify going to a bigger stadium. So I think this is where the direction of the sport comes in. And you go, okay, are we going to invest in the sport over five to 10 years and actually go, let's go to a cool place. Let's make it a huge spectacle. And let's actually see if we can bring an international crowd in with the kind of bullish idea 
that you're going to grow the sport. Whereas if you move to somewhere smaller that doesn't have the capacity for an international crowd that people aren't happy about, are you actually not secure in the future of the sport? Mm. So it's like, actually, if you kind of made the choice, you know, five years time, we want the sport to be doing this. And in order to set those foundations, we're going to have to take that risk now. And in fact, it doesn't seem like they've taken that step. If they go to Birmingham, Alabama, it seems, you know, and this is all speculation because Birmingham, Alabama might turn out that it's got like, I don't know, a 15,000 capacity stadium. Everyone loves it. It's super easy to get to. However, the feedback currently is not that that's uh, the case. All I've heard so far is it's hot and full of bugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People also talk about the crime rate. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> which you know. Snorri was sending me messages about how we'd all have to go around in, um, you know, flat jackets with bodyguards. So and Snorri would actually enjoy that. Like yeah. uh, he will sort out like uh, bulletproof cars to uh, <laughs> to get around in. Maybe an interesting point to touch upon is that what uh, what Justin Burke said is that actually the spectator capacity, not only capacity, but the show up of the spectators in the European and in the uh, South American semifinals were, was higher than the one in the North America. So why are they not coming to Europe? Yeah, well, I, I think this is this sentiment is rattled around Europe. You know, okay, guys, we've smashed it so many times like just give us the opportunity of having the games here you know i'm flying to texas on wednesday we we traveled to the u.s so many times europe has so many hubs you know you could host it in madrid you could host it in berlin you could host it in london all of them have easy connections all of them would have the support of the european community and without question you could fill stadiums i I think you will fill stadiums just in the european regional let alone in the games when the us could come over here and so you know everyone from europe is crying out for the opportunity to host the games and i think that europe would do an amazing job and i think that the feedback would have been positive not just from a european side but from a us side if they'd have announced that you were at the Madrid at the weekend with the affiliate gathering. What was yeah. that like? Yeah, so uh, CrossFit's doing a series of affiliate gatherings at the moment, uh, bringing the affiliate community together. And I was lucky enough to, uh, to go to Spain, the Spanish one, with the program this weekend. And Nat and Danny had organised it. And I tell you what, it was incredible. Mm. There were over 350 people there. Everyone was positive. Everyone came in to have a good time. And this is just like a Saturday in Madrid for an affiliate gathering. 350 people, none of them involved in the sport, just involved in the community. Everything was super positive. And it was the largest affiliate gathering in the world. You know, in the world. Maybe CrossFit HQ could look at that and see, like, okay, if they, if they can get the most affiliates in one place, then maybe they should bring the games. I, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's pressure from everyone in Europe for them to bring the games here. And I understand that, you know, they're a US-centric company, so the, the move is uh, trickier. Uh, you know, and we obviously are on the Europe is Coming podcast, which, yeah. you know, we, we have a bias towards Europe. We are Europe, slightly biased. But I, I think that it's gone beyond, like, um, a bias. And actually, there's there's justifiable reasons to put the games in Europe. Or, as, as, kind of, as we kind of hinted to, at least have, like, you know, maybe with this worldwide ranking or a different system, we can put, like, a, a larger CrossFit competition here. That was what Justin Berg was talking about before when we spoke to him, though. He was talking yes. about that. So where is that going to happen? We need information, CrossFit. Again, a positive, I think, is that 
Justin has, they have come out with more transparency. Mm. You know, like back in the day, we'd have probably, you know, Justin wouldn't have been on a podcast or wherever it is kind of explaining the, the rationale behind the, the moves. And so I think the transparency has improved, which is really nice. Obviously, there are, they have not decided on how, how things will be exactly and, and where the, like the European region will be, what the world ranking is. But it's kind of like, you know, hoping the steps are, are moving in the right direction. And I, I don't know if, because CrossFit haven't officially released it, it's going to be in Birmingham, Alabama. No. I don't know if they kind of like planted it as like a little tester to see what yeah. the feedback uh, <laughs> is going to be like. But yeah, so, you know, we, I think, as Gomez said, as a spectator, everyone wants to see the sport grow. As a coach, I want to see the sport grow. You know, everyone within the, the space wants nothing more than to see the sport grow, see the community grow, throw down in, in the gym, you know? Mm. And also not only grow, just become a bit more professional, you yes. know, like a bit more like other sports, just like as a sport. It's not, yeah, it's, 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 it's what John says. You, you kind of have to, maybe not have to choose, but in some way you, you, you'll maybe have to, between the, the actual community, purely focusing on affiliates and so on, and or um, focusing on on creating a professional sport because because if you put all your eggs in one basket which is the games now maybe that's not the most efficient way to be to, to become a professional sport you don't see this in other professional sports right you see big events but of course there's a whole season around those big events and i don't see with crossfit why you you couldn't do this for example what we what we discussed on on instagram was that you will have uh, let's say in the in the spring and and in the early summer and uh, in, in, in the end of the winter, uh, so in, the, in the, the beginning of the year, you'll have eight competitions. Doesn't have to be games-like. Doesn't have to be five days always. Can also be two days, three days uh, throughout the world. So not only Europe, throughout the world, where athletes, the, the best of the best, actually travel to. Just like it is in, in every other sport, literally, like, like golf, uh, tennis, gymnastics, whatever sport you, you travel around the world as an athlete, as the best athlete. Of course, people want to see the best athletes. I'm just saying top 60 in the world or whatever. And then you, you can make quite easily a ranking system. And secondly, important, that's also a big discussion point, you can easily test for, for uh, performance enhancing drugs throughout those seasons, right? It's, it's, it's much more easy to do this than in the setting how it is now. That's just a, a quick uh, side talk. And then you still make the games as the, as the major of, uh, yeah. of CrossFit easily. And you can even have in between maybe a bit bigger events such as Waterpalooza doesn't have to like go away. You can still have three-day events, two-day events, maybe even a one-day event that's maybe not, not, not very good, but you can have multiple events within a relatively short period. Of course, it's going to be, let's say, hard for the crowd, like for the athletes. It's going to be fatiguing. It's going to be uh, not easy to do. I mean, that's also the, the, the growth of the sport. Yeah, and, and I think this, the important thing is, is that you know, it's just a, a proven model across so many sports is that you know when i go on instagram and look at a golfer you know like i'm looking at say tiger woods or you know whoever it may be because they inspire me to go and play golf and it's not like i have the ability to be tiger woods and i completely understand that it's just the model that when you see the greatest doing something it kind of inspires you to go out there and especially in crossfit say the masters or things like mm. you know i have no desire to compete in crossfit but I'm motivated by these guys who are going out there and pushing. And, and that translates to a whole community that, you know, the, the people in, in the gym that we have in Mallorca, the box, like the box is not designed 
or the model's not around competitive athletes. It's for everyday people. But I can tell you what, as soon as they start seeing the sport, it's not that they want to become the best athletes. It's just that they're motivated to train that bit harder and love watching it. And so it's actually, if the sport can grow, I believe that that will have an effect of building the whole community. And we have seen that in other places, such as in Madison, where the, the affiliate growth has gone up or, you know, in Madrid, where they've had key competitions. And actually, there are lots of affiliates there. Like the growth of the sport, I believe, can be directly correlated to the growth of the, the overall community and used as a model to drive things uh, forward. When CrossFit got rid of its uh, media staff, and, and tried like a whole different model of, say, promoting, you know, like elderly athletes on, on .com. I don't think it inspired as many people to go mm. and join an affiliates. And it's not because CrossFit's not useful for an elderly population. It, that's not the point. It's just that actually people are inspired by seeing the best at something. And it's not that they have to be the best. It's just an inspiration to watch. And actually that can motivate them to then go to the gym, train and live a healthy lifestyle. What are your thoughts on that, Vicky? Well, the, the, being motivated to train, having watched top-class athletes do mm. things that I can't. <laughs> yeah. I, when I first started to do CrossFit, I didn't know there was a sport of CrossFit. I just knew that I needed to get fit and lose weight. It wasn't until after I'd started going to the gym regularly that it was introduced to me. And as soon as I saw it, I was obsessed with it. Mm. And I still am really fascinated by the sport and by the athletes, by everybody who is part of that world. And I'm proud to be a tiny bit of that world and to be connected to those people. For example, if I'm next, stood next to a professional athlete in the gym, I am extremely intimidated by the idea of them lifting at the same time I am, for example. So mm. it's one thing to like watch it and be inspired and feel, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to get better at pull-ups, but it's another thing to be stood next to them. Yeah. So if, I think it's, as a spectator, as a fan, you're sort of disconnected from the athletes in that way. When you're actually within the circle, it's a little bit different. But yes. I've got to say that I'm still always incredibly impressed by things like Jacqueline's sandbag lift, for example, yeah, yeah. you know. It's like I pick, I feel like 50 kilo sandbag is pretty heavy, thanks for asking. And I see, you see her lifting more than twice that. And you kind of, you can relate to what that person is doing because you've had some, ex, um, some experience of it. My husband always says that at the Olympics, they should put like in the, in the yeah. running races, they should have Usain Bolt in one lane and then a regular person next to them. So you can actually see how a regular person, how, take, how long it would take them to run. So from that point of view, yeah, being able to participate in the same workouts that they're doing, for example, at the Open, you know, you can, you can have your respect grows for mm. them. That's the bit that I'm interested this, in. This ties, I think, this ties very well to to what we were also like been, been criticizing upon on our on our Instagram post. Is that yeah? One of the things we we said. I mean, we brainstormed. We 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 have nothing to say here, but at least that we we can think about it. Is that yeah? The open for an elite athlete. So I'm looking from an elite athlete and a coach perspective now is not very useful. Meaning now 10% goes through, everyone goes through if you're half a decent athlete. From a professional sport, from a sport perspective, the open is not very useful to, to get the, the, the sport to, to a high level, right? Yes, it is for the people who participate and to see if they do the same workouts as an elite athlete and then see the, compare the scores. But if you want to make the, the whole thing more professional, and depending on what the goal of CrossFit is, I don't think you, you need that kind of big chunk out of the season just to let the uh, elite athletes uh, have some fun in the open. 
Uh, I don't know what, 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 what John thinks about this. But I don't think it's just about the athlete, the, un- the elites having fun in the open. That's the bit where everybody is together. And that's the bit where I can compare myself against Jack or Solar or whoever. You know, that's the bit where I, I am participating as oh, a normal Of course, but, but you also have no golf tournament or tennis to- tournament where that's, that's, that's the case. It, it doesn't have to happen. Also, secondly... In the quarterfinals and the semifinals, you can still do similar workouts in the affiliates as the elite athletes uh, have done, and then can still compare the, the scores, right? So if you're really into those those things, you could. Uh, do you think that there's actually a lot of people who gonna compare their scores to the top of the top uh, when they compete in the Open? I think they just compete with within friends. I think one thing that's interesting. I think that you kind of. I, I see the the both sides on this. That actually, yeah, me too. Of course, Goma is completely right that it's you know for an elite athlete, the Open is is irrelevant. However, for the population of CrossFit, it's really nice to see. And really, using the elite athletes in the Open is a marketing tool for CrossFit to promote the Open. Exactly. And arguably, then, should they athletes you know say when they get their worldwide ranking of a certain number, you know, get some kind of commission or reward for competing in the open and showing and helping people and so that's maybe a way that crossfit can kind of give back to the athletes because really it acts as a map uh, a marketing tool for the sport for the community yeah. and actually that can kind of create a reciprocal relationship because the open as such as you say you know for an elite athlete there's there's no question that they're the top 10 percent in the world you know there's no i don't think anyone's going to debate that but actually it's really beneficial for CrossFit the community and therefore could CrossFit give back to the athletes in some way. You know, this is kind of like a bigger picture stuff, but really it's a marketing tool to promote the Open, having the, the announcements and whatnot. And therefore, could you give something back to the athletes in, in that regard? Yeah, it's also my view. What I just explained was actually very negatively perceived. Like everyone z- said exactly what you said, Vicky, that, yeah. that they want to compete with the, with the elites. I understand, and it's difficult to change things. But if you want to make it an actual professional sport, you should at least not put emphasis a- anymore on on this. I think you could maybe get them involved. Indeed, maybe even only in the announcements, make that a big thing. Still, that's also a possibility. But I would be more as a neutral sport. I would be more interested to see every weekend or every let's say two or three weekends, high-level sport with all the big names on my screen. Now I can only get to see it literally twice a year, maybe three times with Rogue, right? Just the games, semis, and and, and Rogue, and then maybe one or two more. That's not that much, right? You can never make a world-ranking system on on that, that's for sure. Because then you can just use the Open, right? Uh, Sorry, the the, the games. And I think the one big thing about this is that if you take the Open to the games... In essence, that's the CrossFit season. So from February to August, really till September, because no one's going to do anything after the Games, you have this chunk of time from February to September where really you have two major competitions, the semi and the Games. And as Gomar said, everything in semis is just jammed together so there's not the looking over it. But you actually have this huge window where people would love to be watching like maybe another Rogue, maybe another Dubai, or one of these competitions... But actually, because you have to do open quarterfinals, semifinals, you don't get the opportunity to have any watch time of that. And, and I, I agree with Goma that actually maybe an interesting point that could tick both sides is that you could have uh, an open showdown. So you see how quickly these guys can do it. But actually, that might just be enough is having like two athletes throw down doing the open so you can see the times. That can to, to, to me, that's enough. 
you know, because we don't actually need to check the whole leaderboard. Actually, just seeing like I don't know someone from the top ten doing an open workout, you're like okay, crap, I'm not going to go that fast. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, I, I was blown away. Like I think Mal O'Brien won the the final this year, and I was like, you know, as I'm doing my thrusters, I'm like, oh man, you know, like <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really. Uh, I'm really sucking here. Like, you know, a 17-year-old girl is destroying me in this workout. And I don't need to see 150 athletes destroying me in a no. workout. Having, having one is, a, having you, one is you, enough. You, you only look at the top five. Oh, that's a score. Uh, that, that's, that's okay. And for me, yeah. it's actually quite easy. I just do my reps times times two if it's a four-rep workout. And that's the score of the, yeah. of the elite. Just twice as many reps as me. Twice as much uh, caloric output uh, per, per time window. That's always how it is. So... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's something to say about both sides. I agree and I understand all the, the arguments. But yeah, if you want to stay in the same boat, then you can you can do this season. But if you want to change up and get more valuable time throughout the, the beginning of the year, uh, I don't think the open fits in in, in uh, schedule of a, of an elite athlete. Yeah, I think is, it allows more exposure. And that's and and what we're also not saying is that you know the elite athletes have to compete like ten times a year. But I think what you see behind the scenes is the stress of the open and quarterfinals and then semifinals is actually huge for the athletes. Yeah. And that's a huge chunk of time through a year where th- there's no real ex- like central exposure to, uh, to the sport. And if you could, say, introduce a few more competitions that are optional but con- could contribute to this worldwide ranking, yeah. that would actually be really interesting because... You know, as Gomar said, people are going to be watching, people are going to be inspired by it. You know, Rogue's in two weeks' time and everyone's looking forward to it because, you know, the top 20 are are going to be competing there and everyone's just super excited to watch it, you know? Everyone's talking about Rogue because the best in the world are going to be there. It's going to be a great event. And I, I think that, you know, if we could kind of prolong that season in some way, shape or form, it would be really interesting to see. But if, if you don't expect the athletes to compete in the open and you're giving, you have that longer period of time before they have to hit quarterfinals and semifinals. Or we should probably take away quarters as well. Oh, sorry, that. yes. <laughs> quarterfinals and semifinals. Is there the opportunity for, the, is there a space there for them to, in order to, can they peak and then prepare again? Because they've got to get, get ready to compete, haven't they? Well, this becomes, we haven't seen something like this. So, you know, you have some athletes who like to compete a lot. So in, in my opinion, with the current system, you, you know, no one competes during the Open to the Games. So that's February to September. And then really for an elite level athlete, they can probably manage, say, two competitions extra, say, doing Dubai and Waterpalooza or Rogue, Dubai, whatever it may be. So some people handle a bit more, some people handle a bit less. But let's say that actually semis was just included in one of those competitions. Mm-hmm. And that if you had a high enough worldwide ranking, you would then go to the games. So you actually have a semifinal, the games... And then maybe they could handle three more competitions. That's five competitions, say six competitions a year, one every two months, I think is something manageable. And the thing is, once an athlete's at the top of the sports, you know, they might have certain things they need to improve, but they've kind of made that level. You know, they might need to get a little bit stronger. They might need to get a bit better conditioning, gymnastics, whatever it may be. But they're at the level where they can compete and they can make a choice to say, like, actually, I'm going to take six months off to focus on my strength and then kind of come back into the season. But they then have those kind of choices to choose. Will it affect their worldwide ranking? Yeah, possibly. But that's the choice that they're making because they're going for for a different goal. So I think it's 
you know, the biggest thing is more, it gives more exposure to the sport at a higher level. And as Gomar said, you know, I think sometimes you do have to take a bit of a risk in this going through. And I, I still, I don't believe that it would have a negative impact on the community. You could probably find some system that still really inspires the Open. You know, I do the Open because I've got someone in the box that I want to throw down and beat, you know. Like, th that's why I do it. It's just kind of fun for me. I'll be motivated to do it. And as I say, seeing one of the top times is, you know, it's, uh, it's inspirational, depressing. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do also don't need every athlete to be doing that to know that my time sucks. It's nice to see, like, a reference point. Hmm. Maybe, maybe can, I can ask a question to... To you, John, from a coaching perspective. So many people also said on Instagram or in the comments said that, uh, yeah, if you do whatever, six high-level competition in five months, it's not bearable for the athlete and they will wear out, will be overtrained and so on. But the question here would be, as you said very uh, correctly, the stress that is involved in a, in a quarterfinal, but certainly in a, in a semifinal, uh, leading up to that competition, mm. because you know that's the only one shot you have, you also have to take into account that, that stress, right? Because if you have more competitions, okay, there's more physical stress probably in general on the body, but you know, okay, if I mess up or if I'm sick here, it's not the end of the world because I have more competition. There's a whole ranking system. And even if I don't feel well, I just don't go. Yeah. This is a huge point. And also we don't have to have four day, three day competition. Yeah. You can have a Two one day competition. Yeah. I honestly believe, you know, you could program for a one-day competition and the fittest athlete would emerge. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, we don't need to have these three, four-day beatdowns. You no. can literally have one-day competition. I believe that within that programming, you could easily find the ranking. It'd be great for the athletes because it's not just like a multiple-day beatdown, great for spectators. So there's also the opportunity to change the format, you know. I actually think that if one of these competitions was, say, one day, the spectators watching around the world, I don't think it would have, you know, would, if Rogue was a one-day competition, I would, mean, would I, I'd still watch On the watch Saturday it. evening, I would watch. I mean. Yeah, I'd watch. I'd be more interested. you still of get course. the fittest. I don't think it needs to become, you know, and then obviously you've got like Wadapalooza, which is a fitness festival, a different concept. But why couldn't you have a one-day competition where these elites go to and it's less of a beatdown? You know, each competition doesn't just have to be running athletes into the ground for no, three, no. four days. No, no. You know, I... You know, okay, leave that to the games at a five-day competition or whatever. You know, that's the best of the best. Can they handle the volume, etc.? But you'd easily find a fittest in a one-day competition with the right programming. I, yeah, you yeah. Know. If it fits into a schedule, you you can of course do this in the semi-finals. Probably not because that's not very fair. But I agree. So it, it, there's there's still some some room for opportunity here. I mean, if you look at, at cycling, the best races a year are uh, the spring classics in Belgium and in in, in, in France, right? Like one-day competitions. You don't have to have the Tour de France to have a, a good cycling race on television. That's a contentious uh, thing to say. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. It's and, for sure true. I mean, and also, and with, also but this athletes. is the thing with golf as well, is that you can go to different courses and you know that the conditions are going to be different that might favor someone. Or in tennis, you know, you've got like hard court, clay court, yes. grass court. And the competitions can also reflect that. You know, a one-day competition, you might have an athlete that yeah, really exceeds at these, yeah. can gain the ranking. Okay, yes. and then another athlete exceeds with more volume at a three-day comp. And yes. I don't think that's a negative thing because, you know, as you say, you've still got the games as the pinnacle of this competition. But actually, you can still contribute, get points these one day at these three-day comps, whatever it may be. And I think that actually just more eyes on the sport start to emerge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want? Do you think we're going to get lots of hate for this podcast? I have no idea. <laughs> I think people are going to be like they're living in fantasy land because uh, you know there's uh, the opportunities for this to happen are 
But I, I believe it's possible. Is it I, I don't. Happen? I don't think it takes that much to make this happen. I really don't believe. I think the hard thing is, is that obviously CrossFit is huge. So it's like for them, you know, for them to make these changes is like steering a fleet of ships. Mm. So it's a lot more complex and they have a lot more people and boxes to tick in order to do it. You know, obviously we're saying these things, but the concept is already there. Yeah, you just you know, have to program it, the competitions in the beginning of the year a little bit more dense and, and find out three or four more two one-day competitions people want to organize this i'm sure you can find we're this. also forgetting then, that in, yeah. in in 2019 crossfit completely changed the games yeah. just yeah. off the when they changed the date of the open you know it's not like they can't do these changes it's just obviously that it's a nervous decision to make but i i do believe that there's obviously i spend like pretty much my whole life uh, is evolved around the sport of crossfit like i do nothing else but think and try to work in the sport of CrossFit. And I genuinely believe that there's a model for something like this that can be worked, that would be beneficial for the elites all the way down to the community because of that exposure. You know, what about this? Say you want to grow CrossFit in Japan. You hold one of these of epic competitions in Japan. I bet growth of sport would happen there. Of course. Uh, uh, so it actually that's what the PGA this. Tour do. That's what golf does. They, it, they just had a, uh, one competition and now the Zozo Championship in Japan. So yeah. of course that's how you do it, and 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 you just have to go globally. I mean that's how it should be, right? You, you have the games every year, and then every four years you have the Olympics, where hopefully CrossFit one day will will show up. I mean that's also possible if you want to be more professional and. Thinking about going uh, in the Olympic game and so on. But I mean, honestly, the the, I, I would say like the best opportunity for you know, say say CrossFit want to grow more in Asia. I tell you what, send the best top twenty guys and girls to Asia, do an epic competition. You know, pay for their travel, do it like an invitational. CrossFit will grow there. You know, and because it will just bring the, that Asian community together in order to to kind of start growing that base so the sport is just this like phenomenal tool it's like the, the greatest thing that or kind of one thing that separates crossfit from a lot of different things is the sport you know like does zumba have a sport or all these things like <laughs> it's true they, it's completely they true. don't and crossfit has this like epic sport that can really help it grow you know even the ufc doesn't have that mm. the ufc is the sport but CrossFit also owns, sorry, is the competition. But CrossFit also owns the sport. They own the competition, they own the sport, and they can really use that as a model to kind of drive things forward. Okay. Any final thoughts, guys? Because I we should, you, uh, Gomar you... and I should play golf again in Mallorca and decide on the next stages of the. Should invite them. <laughs> what <are> you <laughs> You have to come back soon, Gomar. I think John's frothing. It's, um, I hope that somebody at CrossFit HQ. Um, takes on board what you're saying so it'd be exciting changes but a long way away I think and I'm sure you know this is the nice thing is that we can discuss this without any uh, it's interesting to hear the community thoughts like it's interesting why why people were yeah were open to the changes yeah yeah. And also interesting why people were so negative about any of the things we said. It was actually quite, I think, neutral and, and not that that strange, except maybe the open, I would say. But I mean, having more competitions in the beginning of the year, how, how can you be against this? I find this a bit strange. I'll put but, the link to the post in the show notes yeah, so that yeah, people go can to go the, back to the, and have a look. To the, to the comments and then you'll see. Maybe, uh, maybe you be kind, just, be kind, people. Maybe you're no, just be, being okay. a little bit too scientific about it all. There's an emotional element there as well. Uh, it's it's that's always my problem. It's always my problem. <laughs>
Well, thanks for chatting with us today, Gamar, and uh, yeah, see thank you, you soon. See you soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Vicky. <laughs> and uh, have a nice day. Bye-bye. Yeah, mm, an interesting chat. Thank you, chaps. What do you think? Should CrossFit introduce a ranking system? Is the Open important to the sport or just for the affiliates? Let us know what you think. Send us a message on Instagram to at the program. Next time, I'm talking to Xavi Osa, a Spanish athlete who's looking to shake up the adaptive divisions. Until then, thanks for listening and bye-bye. Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Europe is Coming is a program production and hosted by Vicky McLeod.